tuned into episode 123 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. A little bit different this episode as you'll come to see. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans, especially coming off a very solid summer tour, which we'll talk about. Sometimes the problem with fish fans is their myopia. They get myopic. They can listen to their favorite band and recite stats and ratings and have opinions about the very worst and very best fish shows and what caused them to be that way. But then you say, hey, let's put on some Stone Roses or some My Bloody Valentine or some Rip Pop from the 90s and look at you like you had three heads. We've been trying to fight against that for the longest time. But like I said, a little bit different this episode. A little different this episode, though we we have been. There is going to be still some of what you expect and yes. yearn for from Beyond the Pond. But this episode, we are finally, after much debating, after much delaying, turning our focus on our two young favorite jam bands, none other than Goose and Eggy, two bands that we have snuck into segments since we brought Beyond the Pond back here in early 2023. And it's time for us to devote an entire episode to why we love these bands, as well as to keep the Beyond the Pond theme alive and well, few other young indie bands that we think that you guys should be paying a little bit more attention to both you, the listener, as well as you out there in the cultural creative space. These are bands that should be, they deserve more attention. They deserve more of an examination. So this is going to be a fun episode. We are going to dive into Fish Summer Tour before we jump into the uh, focus on Goose and Eggy. But I'm really excited about this. This is something that we've been uh, hinting at, talking about, texting about. Uh, wondering whether or not it's the time for us to pass the torch on Beyond the Pond from Fish to Goose and Eggy, and the time is now. Well, we can't really pass the torch. We'd have to change the name of the podcast. We call it Beyond the Fry Pan, Beyond the Poach. <laughs> well, I, I actually, Beyond I guess if, no, if it was Goose, we could still do Beyond the Pond. Because, you know, they would just be on top of the They're pond. They're migratory, yeah. Yeah, on there top of the pond as opposed to swimming in the pond. <laughs> so, um, on that, some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode. Why do we see so much potential with Goose and Eggy? How can both of these bands take the leap in different ways? Is it even possible to replicate the career success of fish nowadays? So, we're going to get to that. But first, let's get to some fish. All right. So before we dive into Goose and Eggy, we wanted to take just a little bit of time to focus on Fish's summer tour. It just wrapped up as of recording. We are recording a week after Labor Day. Um, 
We had 25 shows across basically six, seven weeks, all kind of broken up that July 11th through August 5th run that took us through the Southeast and up the East coast before we ended with seven nights in uh, Madison square garden, the second Madison square garden residency of the band's career. And then we got two nights uh, in late August at Saratoga Springs for the flood relief benefit shows. And then four nights Eh, four and a half, three and a half nights, let's be honest, at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods Park here in Commerce City, Colorado. I thought this was a really good tour. Um, we did an episode back in May where we talked about Spring Tour. Dave and I were both absolutely over the moon for Spring Tour. It was our favorite tour since fall 2021, and I think one of our favorite tours overall um, throughout uh, Fish history. It was, it was just it's it's rare you get eight shows in a row that have that much creativity and that much consistency. Um, I don't think that we expected that here in the summer. And I think we got a lot that was slightly different from the spring. Uh, it was not as dark and abstract. Um, and there were a few ups and downs as is to be expected without within every tour. But I think overall, we both loved this tour. I thought that this was very, very strong. I thought that there were some great set listing choices. I thought that there were some huge, huge jams. And as the tour evolved, especially as it got to MSG, the band sounded confident. They sounded tight. They sounded comfortable. And it just really led to a very fun and joyous and celebratory tour. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, relative to spring, more... Uh... Mixed Lydian scale, almonds y type jamming, a lot of brown, a lot of mountain jamming type stuff. But that being said, uh, plenty of examples of how you still can't get the shit anywhere else. 40 years down the line, they will still, you'll go, the best fish shows, there'll be a 10, five minute segment where you're saying, what is this? Like, how is this even transpiring on stage? Um, I think they're as tight as they've been since summer 2015, largely due to John yeah. Fishman getting some kind of third gear. Jesus Christ. I don't, I think Fishman hasn't playing as well at any point during his life as he gets into his late 50s and early 60s. And there's a degree of Trey Anastasio dexterity that wasn't necessarily there in like 2017, 2018. I've said this in the past. I don't know if there are issues with arthritis or. I don't know his health history or his practice history, but just in terms of dexterity, lack of flubs and flow, I mean, it's really, the, the, the playing is quite technically quite excellent. Yeah, and, and I felt that listening to it from afar, seeing it up close um, at Dick's, the um, back and forth dual nature between Fishman and Trey kind of egging each other on. Um Right there with you, I don't think that Trey has sounded this strong since Magnaball. Um, it is really wild, and it's something I feel like is worth exploring at some point in a future episode is, you know, 2017, 2018 are really brilliant from a jamming standpoint, and as a fan going through those periods, it was very exciting. You suddenly were getting type two improvisation in the first set in ways that you simply hadn't for the previous, uh, seven or eight years of 3.0. But when you go back and listen to it, Trey, Trey is a little bit sluggish, a little bit slower. And, and the improv seems to be the guiding factor. Whereas here, there were a lot of type one jams that were uh, really, really worth re-listening to, um, just be, just based on his playing alone. It also helps that he's been playing a lot. He's, uh, had the Trey trio, 
He's taking Tab out on tour frequently. Um, he's got to run a classic Tab shows right now. I mean, Trey never sleeps. You know that. Like, I know he lives in New York City, and yet I've never seen him walking down the street because he's never here. He's uh, <laughs> spends a lot of time on the road, and certainly that's uh, no different this year. I mean, goodness, fall tour is even starting up the first month of October, uh, the first week of October. They do Nate shows. So yeah, he's just got a ton going on. I think also, um, I kind of mentioned this, but like from a set listing standpoint, when they took risks and they combined things, you think about like that second set from uh, Night Two at Dick's that you've got a sand and no man into llama, uh, mountains in the mist, um, no, no uh, sense and subtle sounds, and shine a light. It's not really a set list someone would really write down on paper. Um, but it all works and it works really well and it's really fluid and it, it feels like it has a narrative arc to it in a way that, um, you know, when they played more conservative set lists, like say Sunday night at Dick's or, um, night one of tour or, um, uh, like the Wilmington shows, they didn't work out as well. And, and ultimately right. it seems like both the set list and the, and the, the, the musical improv that, that, that aspect, and they're not taking as many risks with set lists as I think they were in like. Fall 21, um, which probably is why it's just a, a slight notch below that tour. Um, but ultimately, loved everything about this tour. Um, loved the plane. I'm curious, Dave, what were a couple of your favorite shows from this tour and what were what were kind of your reasons for it? Um, July 28th, first night of the Garden. I think that's a show, uh, probably the show of the year so far. And uh, September 1st, just because... Dick's Night 2, just because the second set was probably my favorite set of the year. Definitely my favorite set of the summer, top to bottom. But 728 was such... They came out with such a purpose. It was the first night of the seven-night residency at the Garden. Came out with the evening song, kind of cute, and then boom! 20-minute-plus Wave of Hope, 14-minute Cities, and just the second set was relentless. It's just one of those shows that the improv is free. It's the music's playing the band. Uh, that second set had a simple. There was a plasma, and it's just one of those things. You look up, you sing. What song are they playing? I have no idea. It doesn't matter because it's so good. And I was at that show. That was the first show I saw this summer. I saw four of those MSG shows, and just from the jump, I'm like, is this one of the best fishers I've seen? This could be probably. <laughs> is this one of the best shows I've seen? Maybe in 3.0. Certainly. It, it's in the running for the top five shows I've seen in Fish Three, um, you know, Fish Three Point Oh, Four Point Oh. So yeah, that's my number one, and my number two, like I said, September first, first set, fine set of fish, unspectacular. Second set that sand into no man's into llamas, just got thirty five minute chunk of awesome. It's like everything I want in the band was there. Yeah, those two shows, um, I mean, those are right on my list as well. I, I, 728 is one of those shows, I feel like you and I, um, when we're texting during shows, we, we have a tendency to be, I don't want to say jaded, but a bit skeptical. Like, show me what you guys can do tonight. And if you get like an opening segment, like that evening song, Wave of Hope, Cities, you fall into a very noobish trap of being like, is this the greatest fish show ever? And sometimes the band, you know, veers to the right and it's not, and you feel a little bit ridiculous for thinking that. But then something like that show, you're just like asking yourself over and over again, is this the best fish show ever? 
And like, I could totally see someone walking out of that show saying it was the best show that they've ever seen and being completely right. Like it was yep. one of those shows that just from start to finish, it felt like the band knew it, they matched the moment, which is something, one of the magical aspects of this band is oftentimes they don't match the moment. They give you a moment when you're not expecting it. And for them to have that much energy and adrenaline going into that run and then hit it with a show like that, just unreal. Um, my two shows, because I, I could have 728 and 91, but there are a couple other really good shows from the tour, one of which is um, 714, Night One in Alpharetta. That was a very, very classic show. Really good first set. Uh, second set um, is pretty much a, a, a perfect set. Um, Ghost, yeah. Ruby Waves, um, uh, and Flew Away. Uh, my friend, my friend that went into a very dark and evil gym and then a first tube just to kind of throw it down. Uh, amazing fluid set that Ruby waves. I'm going to talk about it here in a second, but that is, uh, one of my favorite jams of the year. Um, and then my other one is 831, um, night one of Dick's, you know, I think that Thursday, Friday run is some of the best fish I've ever seen back to back. Some of the best fish I've ever seen. I think nine one set two is definitely the stronger set. I think in terms of a complete show that you press play at song one and you don't let up until the end, um, you could make an argument for night one of the run just because you got that Carini, huge 20 minute Carini to open the run. Pretty big Prince Caspian, uh, really nice Ruby waves gem in set one. That second set, you've got set your soul free tweezer, easily the best tweezer uh, that's been played at Dick's. Beneath the Sea of Stars, Oblivion, really, really good light featuring Fishman, uh, Trey Interplay, and then Slave to the Traffic Light. So just an amazing show. Um, Dave, widening the scope a little bit from Summer Tour, what were your three favorite shows that the band has played thus far through Dicks in 2023? Um, July 28th in the Garden, September 1st from Dicks, and then... Um April seventeenth, of course, being the Berkeley show with the forty-five minute, like hour-long tweezer, simple madness. Which, uh, if you watch the recent Unreal. Trey IG video here, he interviews Vance Powell. Because Vance Powell talks about all the different like precautions that he takes to record the shows, and he records the video so he can go back and watch the videos. And he said something like, "Yeah, we had to like redo Berkeley," and Trey was like, "Oh yeah, that was the ghost in the machine." And she's like, yep, that was the ghost in the machine. Because recall, Ber- <laughs> recall Berkeley was the one everyone was dying to hear like five seconds after it ended and it took like 24 hours for them to like put it up there. So It's terrible. That was yeah. like the most I've stressed in. That uh, was excruciating. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me for shows, all of all the shows? <laughs> so glad they, that wasn't a, uh, hey, sorry guys, you're going to have to. I, I I deal with the odds, you know, the odds were nice, but, uh, Hey, we got to have that soundboard Christmas for uh, a jam like that. Um, yeah, I got 728 as well. Um, 714, as I mentioned, and then, um, nine one, uh, as we talked about here, night two of dicks, that second set, I'll just say that is everything I've ever wanted from fish. Um, I didn't see anything like that in 2022. Plus a walk off melt. Plus a walk off melt. I had tickets that people recall in 2022 for, um, the Berkeley Hartford run. And I sold those and, um, did Alpine dicks. And, uh, I should have done Berkeley Hartford dicks. That would have been, would have been a smarter decision. Um, but you know, 
We don't always make the smartest decisions. I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that Dave was there for the Berkeley set your soul free and the Hartford wave of hope. But, um, September 1st, man, I got everything I could have wanted from this band, uh, in 90 minutes. It was, how was that at Berkeley? Um, <laughs> no, excuse me. Bethel. Bethel. Bethel yes. Bethel. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beth. I was supposed to do the right. Bethel Hartford run, not the Berkeley Hartford run. That would be a very strange run. Um, <laughs> Take the Concord. Looking at the full, <laughs> looking at the full year again. Let's go top five jams so far of 2023. It'll be fun to review this after MSG in early 2024. But what do you got right now as your top five fish jams that have been played across 2023 so far? Uh, like I said, April 17th, Tweezer and the Simple. September 1st, Sand, No Man's Llama. July 29th, Fuego. Easily the greatest Fuego of all time. One of the greatest fish jams I've seen in person. The last seven minutes of that rearranged my brain. Um, July 14th, the Ruby Wahavis from Alpharetta. Fantastic. And then um, from Syracuse, the July 23rd, Kill Devil Falls. Set closer. Probably easily the best version um, since, what is it, uh, 2015, the one they played... The Goss from Alpharetta. Uh, no, it was from um, uh, uh, Aaron's Amphitheater downtown uh, downtown Atlanta. Okay. Lakewood. So, oh, okay. Lakewood, okay, same state, same. All right, same. Same region. Same region area. Yeah, okay. Best one since that. Incredible set closer. Fiery, flying, flying, shiny, starry-eyed fish, oh. which also led into a phenomenal second set. I mean, Syracuse... Easily a top five show this summer, in my opinion. That was a hundred percent. Yeah. One of my favorite shows of the year as well. Um, the only one off show of the entire year. Um, yeah. Couple, couple jams in here that, uh, I share as well. 417 tweezer simple. Um, I was talking to a good friend of the pod, Sam Timberg. Um, he was looking at my larger jam of the year list and I had, um, the next two jams in the same tier as tweezer simple. And he was like, come on, you're smarter than this. That tweezer simple is one of the greatest things the band has ever played. It is one of the best things that will, when, when this band is finally done, whenever that happens, people will remember this tweezer simple more than they'll remember any other jam played this year, which is not a knock. It is just a fact. Mm. And he's right. So tweezer simple, that is the top tier. I do not see the band playing a better jam than that. If they do, oh my God. Um, I don't see them playing a better jam than that this year. Uh, Ruby Waves, 714. Um, that is some serious Fishman, uh, Trey interplay on night three of the tour that I was driving back home from a Colorado Rockies game, um, to insane texts from Dave and our good buddy, Josh Carver, um, about the Ruby waves. And I was like, God damn it. I cannot wait to get home and listen to this. Um, 729 Fuego. That is, uh, just a stunning peakless jam. It is just, they find a space, they explore it, they explore the entirety of it. They almost never leave Fuego, which is really wild. Like it could go back into Fuego at any point in time. And it's just like these like little excursions and it's just little excursions. It's just, it's amazing. It's like you got your day camp set up and you just go out on these backpacking hikes and you're out for like eight days and you got no place to go uh, other than this valley you're in and just exploring the mountains. It's unreal. And it ends with this um, amazing... Like Kraut Rock, Blast of White oh. Light, like repeating riff that Trey just hits upon. 
And then Kuroda sends like flashes of like white light in time to the music, which you can see. And those on the LEDs. YouTube. Yeah. Like Starburst. I mean, Starburst. I was oh, I was I was in a hotel room in Wyoming watching that, just like hands in the air, lying in bed while my son slept next to me, just like Yes. Yes. I was Yes, more at the show. More. I used my I used my hands to like frame it. My hands set up like like a rectangle so I could like view it through that. And, I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, God was good. Anyway. That was, that is, I mean, that jam, I think more than anything is what that, I mean, the tweezers are simple, but like that Fuego is right in our wheelhouse in a, in a big, big way. Um, other two, the uh, 224 Ruby Waves. This is my favorite jam from Mexico. This is a jam that uh, if you have not listened to, I highly recommend people going back and checking it out. It is just relentless. This is a total preview of the Trey Fishman connection that we've had so That's much. That's a great show. Year. 224 is an amazing show. It's a show. great show. Great show. Bathtub gym, um, holy shit. Bathtub gym with both the blue sky uh, effects, huge 11-minute wild crazy chalk dust, big wave of hope and stash and set one. Just an awesome show altogether. Um, and then 419, uh, two nights after that, tweezer simple, the set your soul free. Um, really, really good stuff from Fish. The whole Berkeley run had just amazing segments of music, really good atmospheric jamming, that whole spring tour. But that Set Your Soul Free, the last five minutes, are some of my favorite stuff of the entire year. But I think, you know, as as we've made it very clear, we really, really like this year. This has been a very strong year of Fish. I think that there's another level for them to go to. And I think that if they have a great fall tour and a great New Year's run, we're talking one of the better years of fish in the 3.0, 4.0 era. I mean, I think we already are, but like there is another, there's a step to this. There's almost like if you recall 2021 ended with a really strong Dick's run, great summer tour. I think some people thought this might be the best that we hear of the band fall tour. They took that to a totally different level. And if we get that this year, man, we're, we're in for something. Even if we don't though, if we get just the same quality fish, it's been an awesome, awesome year. I'm really pleased with it. Um, I'm excited to see how they how they wrap things up. Let's listen to a little bit of uh, the MSG Fuego from July 29, 2023. We're going to come back, talk some goose and eggy.
right. For some of you, this is the moment you feared. When Brian and Dave would just give up and get back into jam bands like they were 16 years old again. For others of you, you're probably celebrating, hey, these guys are expanding their palate. They're not just talking about fish. Those old guys from Vermont, there's a young crew of young jam band. This is like us being like, hey, where's Serena Williams? And you're like, hey, there's Coco Goff, young young American uh, female tennis player coming up. She's about to take over the world. Why are you figure? Why why are you focused on the old? Celebrate the new. Hey man, Serena Williams is still fucking badass. And if she could, she still wanted to play tennis. I bet she's winning a couple majors. You know what I'm saying? That's where mm. Fish is at at this point in time. They're still taking over the summer tour if they want to. They can still do it, but there is a future. The future, as we can see it right now, rests in two bands. Two of our favorite bands, not just jam bands. Two of our favorite bands, and we're going to dive into them. We we're talking about Goose from Connecticut and Eggy, also from Connecticut, correct? Connecticut is the new Vermont. <laughs> Southern Connecticut. So, Southern Connecticut. This is the jam band mecca, as it were, uh, in the 21st century. It went from San Francisco to Vermont to Connecticut. Amazing stuff. Um, so I want to ask you kind of big picture, how did you and I get to a place where we both have multiple jam bands that we are following regularly? I don't know. I feel kind of bad. About it. I feel kind of bad about it. I know. Oh no, seriously. Um, you know, ultimately the goal of beyond the pond is to introduce you to good music. And both Goose and Eggy constitute good music. And I think what we both like about them is that they're in it to win it. There's lots of shows. The shows show up in pristine quality on the Nugs app. And they're constantly trying to push, trying to play larger venues, trying to kill it on social media, and basically kind of doing, you know, a 21st century slash smartphone era update and all the fan outreach that we liked about Fish in the first place. So if they're willing to take the extra mile to engage the fan base, engage the socials, really try to get you to come out, and the music and songs are actually good, then we'll pay attention. Part of the jam bands that we don't care for, the songs aren't there, they don't sound terribly like original. I don't know. I don't want to trash other jam bands. But suffice sure. to say, with Goose and Eggy, they care, and they don't annoy us. At least not that much. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, for me, they, and I think I think you're saying the same thing. Like, they scratch an itch that I wasn't expecting. and But when I realized that it was something that I kind of needed, I it, it made a lot of sense. Um, Goose has a lot of, they make a home in a lot of cases in uh, the indie pop sphere. A lot of their songs could be like Vampire Weekend songs almost. Yeah. But then you get this extended jam that comes off of that. And so that was like an immediate appeal for me when we first started checking out Goose in late 2019, early 2020, and uh, getting kind of ever more seriously into them as they came back on the road in 2021 and they had a really strong fall and winter 2022 tour and since then it's kind of just been in the regular rotation. Eggy, I think 
at that at at the point that I started listening to Aggie and you started listening to Aggie, I don't think it was out of the realm of possibility for us to be into another jam band because we'd already gotten into Goose. And the thing that's cool about Aggie is that they take that songcraft and they take jamming to a dark and interesting and very nerdy place. And so having those those elements for both of those bands have been a fun thing to kind of play off of each other, but also dive into. Um, so looking big picture again, I'm curious in your minds, what has changed about jam bands over the last decade that has made two bands within that realm really appealing to listeners like us? Well, the thing that's changed the most is that I mean, jam bands in order to succeed basically have to get their shows up and posted in like Chris soundboards as soon as possible. I know, obviously, Fish does that with Live Fish. Goose usually has his shows up in 24 hours or less. Eggy, probably within, like, five to six days after the show is played. So yeah. there's more competition than ever because you have, like, a service that's basically entirely devoted to, like, Chris Jam Band shows. So there's a lot for one, for like, you know, one yearly price. There's a whole lot that can compete for your earbuds. So it's not enough for the band to be good. They have to get the shows up. And also now, um, you know, where it used to be in Fish's era, it was like tape trading, it was flyering, it was the, like, Donny Axe But now, I mean, bands have to make an effort to reach out on Instagram, some kind of presence where it'd be at X, that bullshit, or uh, Instagram, or TikTok, or Facebook. So it has to be, the music's got to be good. But they also have to reach out on social media and keep the kids engaged that way. So basically, I don't think the bands themselves has changed so much as the the promotional methods. And management has to be on top of that. I think Goose Management and Eggy Management both have a pretty uh, good sense of what the kids want to see in the 21st century regarding the socials, which really helps. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is I, I do think that there is a tendency with jam bands now to embrace indie culture in a way that did not necessarily happen 10, 10 years ago. I feel like 10 years ago, there was a sense of jam bands honor classic rock and they honor right. things in a jokey manner. Um, I feel like the closest crossover that you had, I remember Humphreys McGee once covering uh, 1901 by um, Phoenix back when Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix felt like the biggest indie rock album in the world. But that was like the closest thing you had to that. Now you have Eggie's covering King Gizzard. They're covering Big Thief. Um, Goose is uh, very much indebted to Vampire Weekend, as I noted. Both bands are covering uh, a lot of Genesis-related mu uh, music. Um, you know, artists that kind of paved the way both from a jam standpoint, but also from an indie creativity standpoint. Um, I just feel like they're playing covers and they're, they're, they're honoring influences that you just simply would not have gotten out of jam bands even a decade ago. Well, yeah, because they're like younger. I mean, I th right, I think right, right, right. That's true. These guys at the goose guys came up, listened to, you know, spoon and Bon Iver, Whereas, I mean, Eggy, think those guys are all like late 20s, early 30s. You know, they're going to be listening to Big Thief and King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard. They have different influences. Whereas, you know, Trey Anastasio being almost 60 years old, yeah, he came up listening to like Hendrix and Yes and Zeppelin in his dorm room. 
So yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think it's also just a product of their age. I think the other big question I have before we dive into the specifics around the band is, you know, the when the when Fish kind of took over in the mid '90s, the Grateful Dead was winding down, but there was this like clear space for another band to take over that circus. Um, I don't know if it's possible anymore to have that sort of success that Fish had in the '90s that led to this big blowing out of the fan base um, that has led to when they came back in 09, just consistent sellouts of amphitheaters and arenas. Do you think it's possible to replicate that success that Fish had here in the 2020s? Or do you think the music industry has just changed so much and there's so much available that it's hard for people to latch onto one band the same way? Yeah, I think Fish is a shooting star phenomenon. I mean, certainly if a band is good, and they promote themselves, and they want it badly enough, they will play larger venues. We know Goose has started to kind of go away from theaters and kind of scale up to more amphitheaters and tiny hockey arenas and, on, like, their most recent tours. I, I guess, like, my question is, like, do you see, do you foresee, and, and I, I think I know my answer to this, but do you foresee 70,000 people trudging up to Limestone, Maine to see goose you know a scenario like that not not that exact example but like something on that level where it's like wow this is a cultural phenomenon i don't have to be proved wrong i'm the same i i would love that for them i would love that and i think both these bands deserve that i just think the industry has changed so much um you talk about like the nugs.net battles as you put it like it's like almost a competition to get your shows up there because that ticker at the bottom of nugs.net. I mean, that is evolving every day. And when you have Springsteen uploading the exact same set list night after night <laughs> right. uh, and taking up traffic there, when you have, you know... Um, Counting Crows, the same 16 songs, yeah. just played like different order. <laughs> you, you just have a lot on there. And if you're a band that is on tour... Um, it's important to get up, things up as much as possible. It's a typical situation in these typical times. Too many choices. <laughs> let's dive in here to, um, let's talk Goose here really quickly first. We've talked to them probably more on this podcast, but just kind of setting the table. What is the appeal in your perspective? Kind of uh, um, elevator pitch. Why would you tell someone to listen to Goose? Um, they've got the strongest musicianship on the jam band scene non-fish division and their songs and vocals are far better than they need to be for the genre they write good songs they understand choruses like when i started listening to goose i'm like oh hot tea this has got a great chorus into the mist great chorus instantly stuck into my head like you look forward for the chorus the hot tea to hit i mean bands could really learn a thing by listening to goose and saying okay here's verse big chorus verse here's the jam and rick can sing the, it wasn't always that way you listen to some old goose shows back in 2016 he kind of has like a more conventional bar band jam band voice but he put the work in and uh dude could sing i mean elevator pitch excellent musicianship and a quality of songwriting and singing that you don't get from the genre i don't think you get it like anywhere else i mean i think um I think Rick's a better singer than Trey is. Yeah, he's a naturally gifted singer yeah, in a way right. that nobody in Fish necessarily was. Um, no, I'm I'm right there with you though. I mean, it's it's the musicianship is I, I've been 
I took a goose break uh, between the end of their summer tour and now the start of their fall tour, which is starting two days after we record this. Um, listening to some of their jams, one of the things that really takes me is how tight and how, how quick their transitions are when they make them. And that is, that is a result of a locked in, very tight uh, and very talented uh, band from a musical standpoint. I think the biggest thing, kind of like what you put, what you said, the earworm uh, uh, indie, the earworm riffs in their indie songwriting is just uh, inescapable. And it was one of the things that first attracted me to the band when I first listened to them back in the fall of 2019 and keeps me going back. You know, songs like um, Everything Must Go, not my favorite Goose song, but undeniably has an earworm aspect to it. Like, and I think that even in their songs I don't love, there is a, there's a, part of the song that gets stuck in your head. You know, like you have these great songs like Madhavan that has that really great uh, Chugli chorus or Into the Mist, like you mentioned, Creatures, these songs that have big choruses, big riffs that keep you coming back. But even in their songs that are not necessarily my favorite, there's something in there that is a pop sensibility that not a lot of jam bands have that, that makes it feel very appealing on a large scale. I think also... Jamming wise, I mean, their jams always peak in a huge, huge way, almost too much, but it's, it's a guaranteed energy boost and serotonin boost at a show. But then they go the distance. These guys aren't just playing 13, 14 minute long jams. They're regularly playing 24 to 28 minutes where you're getting a full journey, a ton of ideas all within some really huge peaks. Yeah, I would say, uh, there's one drawback I have with them now it's that sometimes the guitarist Rick Maitaratanda Maitakanja how the fuck we pronounce his last name Maitaratanda Maitaratanda okay Richard Maitaratanda he's so good and so skilled that often the band can't help but fall in line behind him and I think that when Goose will take the next step when every band member is kind of more or less an equal footing and they find a way to communicate with each other so as to have full band conversations versus Rick just going the fuck off shredding and the other band members just kind of look at him and they're like, wow, let's just like sit back and let this happen. And that's great. You got to have shreddy peaks. Every good jam band always has to have a guitarist who's like a pretty much like a fucking jock. But every now and then you kind of wish for the other dudes to kind of incorporate themselves in the more of the conversation and over the past two years more so their jams are getting to that place i mean some of the dates and jams are going to discuss have more of that group conversation versus just rick going the fuck off yeah i'll just say before we dive into a few recommendations i agree with your critique there i think my only thing i would add is i'd really like to see a little bit more darkness in their jams um i'm I'm going to talk about it here in a second, but the 11-13-2022 Madhavan, the Glens Falls Madhavan, is something I uh, I will die on this hill that is one of the best jams a goose has ever played. It's very abstract. It's very dark. It's very weird. It finds its way into a very demented bluegrass-style jam before ultimately returning to Madhavan. It's a huge accomplishment, and I would just love to see them explore that space a little bit more and give us just a hint more, a little bit more of the darkness to contrast with all the bright, beautiful, blissy peaks. Um, so if there's someone out there listening to this podcast who doesn't know anything about Goose and is just like, where do I start? What is 
and are, what are a couple shows? What is a time period? What should I do uh, here to start as a Goose fan? What would you suggest to them? I would point them to the three shows that they played at the Ramen Auditorium in Nashville from, um, I think, what was it, March 30th, March 31st, and April 1st. Those three yeah. shows, each excellent in their own right, each had very key, excellent tentpole jams and surrounded by some of their, their best other songs. I think that as like a three-pack is a very good introduction to the band. I think that's a perfect one. It's got all the big songs. It's got huge jams, huge Wisteria, huge Ro- Rosewood, huge Arcadia, or huge Arrow, huge Madavon, my favorite jam of the year so far, the Madavon from, from 4-1. Um, I think I would second that, and I would say pick and choose between, um, I'm going to give you three three offerings here. Uh, the Mission 2021, that's a two-night run to close out the fall tour. Really, really quality set listing and jamming. Um, Philly, night two from 2022, uh, 3-12-2022. I think it's the best Goose show that's been played to date. All their biggest songs jammed out beyond proportion. And then our Radio City 2022. If you know nothing about Goose, a really good easy way in would be to listen to the um, three set shows from uh, uh, Radio City Music Hall uh, when Trey sat in with the band um, on the last night. But everything leading up to that, especially that, that 625 show is just a great, great example of uh, Goose at their best. What are a few other shows that you would throw out as recommendations to people? Um, I've got June 15th, 2022. That was from, uh, the Red Hat Amphitheater in Raleigh, North Carolina. Somewhere in North Carolina. That's correct. Yeah. Excellent show. Huge Madavon, one of the best versions of that song they played. Plus an excellent mix of new songs and old songs. And one of my favorite versions of the song, Drive. In the second set, you feel like you are driving on the Audubon. Just excellent lack of a better word, driving jam. So yeah, June 15, 22, very complete show. Um, like Brian said, June 25th, 2022, Ready City Music Hall. Of course, the famous three-set show where Trey came out. That was uh, top to bottom, great intro show, great jams. Of course, when uh, Trey takes the very Trey-sounding solo in uh, the song Hunger Sight, that was a big, big cheer from the audience, big goosebump moment. And I've got uh, the aforementioned first at a Ryman Auditorium, March 30th, 2023. Probably my favorite version of the song Wisteria Land ever played. And then I've got uh, April 13, 2020, ah, April 13, 2023 from the Sylvie in Madison, Wisconsin. Very cool show. Very interesting jams. Uh, the song Indian River gets a great treatment at that show. The song Born. 26-minute treatment, just uh, top to bottom, very inventive show. So those four should keep you going for a while. All right, those are all great picks. I would say in addition to 11-21-21 and 3-12-22, uh, I'd recommend 6-15-2021 from Perry, New York. Um, we're going to talk about it in a second, but it includes my favorite Goose Jam ever. And then 4-1-2023, the final night of the uh, Ryman run that you talk about. They came out uh, in a very fishy move as well on April Fool's Day. Came out dressed as each other and all took each other's respective instruments. Uh, really played into the characteristics um, and laughable sensibilities of each member. 
Rick on drums, for example, uh, uh, pretending to be Ben repping, uh, some local jam band. Um, Jeff came out with, you know, one of those, the glasses, big nose and mustache, um, uh, kind of caper, uh, outfit, uh, and, pretended to be Peter in the David Wright, uh, Mets Jersey. Peter came out as Trevor sleeveless, uh, just really playing into it. They just, they had a ton of fun. They played a great version of drive Lee, really fun way to start the show. And then, um, that Matt, that Madhavan I was talking about, um, just some awesome stuff. I mean, that's eight shows plus a few others that we've recommended that, um, you guys would get a lot out of, uh, a few jams just from my end. The, uh, Western Sun from 615 2021, my favorite goose jam of all time. That goes into a, it's a 30 minute jam that then goes into a 23 minute Echo of a Rose. Uh, the 615 22 Madovan that uh, Dave talked about. The 324 23 Echo of a Rose from Philadelphia. Huge, huge driving dirty jam. There's your dark. Uh, I think it's dark. Oh, that gets, that gets very dark in a very cool way. Uh, and then kicking back to winter 2022, the 212-22 uh, Redbird is uh, probably my favorite version of that song. Uh, hypnotic democratic jamming. And then aforementioned the Glens Falls Madovan 11-13-2022. Wild, wild stuff. So Also with Trey. Um, also, oh, no, no, no. Trey's on the uh, Syracuse one. The, the Glens Falls one is the dark... Oh, fall yes. 94 That's right. weird madness. They played it um, twice. Right. Okay. Yes. Right. Any, any jams you want to recommend? Like I said, the Wisteria lane from March 30th, 2023, uh, the Ryman night one, it just sounds like they're in like a prize fight. There's like part of this. If you're a fan of the Canadian band, the, the tragically hip, they have a song called twist my arm. And I don't know if it's a pure coincidence, but basically Rick is like playing, the pugilistic twist my arm riff, like the entire time during that jam. And then it takes off, it takes off in the flight. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. So uh, that's probably one of the jams I talk about when people get really excited about Goose is uh, that 330 Wisteria Lane. But also, um, you were talking about the Madhavan from Glens Falls. The one that I'm really drawn to is the Madhavan from Syracuse with Trey Anastasio which gets very mountain jammy, serious, kind of like almost what you want sometimes when you're playing with Trey's second guitar, just like the mountain jamming, serious almondsy, which also gets very twisted towards the end. But uh, yeah, people would check out the Taboos tour, which of course is when Tab took Goose out on tour. And every night during the Goose set, Trey would come out for one or two songs that were usually among the best songs of those sets. Like, you know, they... Uh, Purposely played their most jamming and stuff when Trey came out. There's a version of the song "All I Need" from Portland, Maine. Wow. That's that's incredible. Um, I saw them at uh, at Mohegan Sun when Trey came out and played the song "Factory Fiction" with them, which was mm. huge rush, huge kick seeing that. I was getting bronchitis and was sick as a dog, but I still enjoyed that show. It wasn't COVID? I tested. So. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about what, what we think that they uh, could work on. Uh, both of us kind of are agreeing democratic jamming and, and a little bit of darkness. Um, what do you foresee? You know, we, we, we agreed that we don't see any jam bands really reaching the, the monumental peaks of fish playing 
drawing 100,000 people down to Big Cypress for a seven-hour show uh, for the millennium, stuff like that. What do you ultimately see as the as the peak for Goose? I think they will sell out multiple nights at Madison Square Garden. They could, at some point, I could see them doing, selling out a two-night run. Whether they can do more than that, like, remains to be seen, but I think that'll be a pretty big achievement. Basically being the only non-Fisher Dead jam band to do that. And I'm not counting not counting Wolfpack as a jam band because half the arena was closed off anyway. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see them doing that. Um, do you think that that is like the highest of highs that they get to? Or, or is it just kind of unknown beyond that? I'd say it's unknown beyond that, but having being a bunch of dudes in their 30s that grew up idolizing fish and Humphreys McGee and living in Connecticut, that'd be a pretty big achievement. Yeah. Yeah. It would be huge. Um, and I, I, I feel like that is a couple years away for them. I, I think one thing I keep coming back to that I think would be a really hard thing to do, but I feel like goose has it in them is to make a critically acclaimed album. I think that is something that we just have not seen in the jam band world. We've talked at length, both here and other places, about the struggles throughout the jam band world to make an album that really resonates and connects beyond just your core jam band fans and really lives within the rock world. Has there I feel been like one Goose can do it. Billy Breathes? Is that the, like the last one? Yeah, and I mean, even that, I think it's, you know, that's aged really well, but like, you, you were around at that point in time. Was that a record that was like really well received by like the rock world beyond yeah. jam bands okay yeah okay that made the radio it made rolling stone i think pitchfork at each like acknowledged it at a time when they really weren't acknowledging that kind of music yeah i could see that then i think that's probably the right comp i mean the the, the most recent um what is it autumn crossing the ep that came out from goose it's 18 minutes, it's three songs it's basically travelers part one and two and elmeg uh the wise I think the most interesting aspect of it is that those two songs are just really well recorded and, and you get a lot of the emotional depth and soundscape out of those songs that you just can't get in a live setting. And I think goose has the capabilities to do that. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen. We're both very much on the goose train. If you will, let's turn our attention now um, to another Connecticut jam band, the boys from Eggy. Dave, what do you think is the major appeal of a band like Eggy? This is going to sound stupid, but I like that the total dorks really seem to love each other. And that's not always a guarantee with bands. You'd think it would be, but it's not. A lot of bands, there's conflict, there's hired guns, they two against three, they'll team up on each other. But with Eggy, I know that three... Of uh, the four members of Eggy all went to high school together. I think they went to uh, a place called Amity High School in Woodbridge, Connecticut, which is about 25 minutes from where I grew up in Cheshire, Connecticut. So having come up together, having all listened to the same 99.1 WPLR classic rock radio in Connecticut together, um, they even did some Jewish youth groups together, like the same Jewish youth groups that I did growing up in Cheshire. I'm sure that's where they like to learned about jam bands and drugs, just like I did. And it's, you know, it's kind of, they're excellent musicians who write 
good songs, and their improv has come a long way. But I like the fact that they show affection to each other, both inside jokes, on stage, and off. They're, uh, they're cute, funny guys. I think that's important. It is. And I think, you know, you're right. Like, there is... Um... There's the, there's the nerdy side that can sometimes come across as like sarcastic or sardonic and not lead to like that camaraderie on stage that you that I think you really want out of a rock band. Um, you get that out of them. You also just get this very nerdy prog fish jamming in a way that yeah. you don't get with Goose. Um, their jams are very democratic. They are full band communication. They are not afraid to show off at times in the way that Fish did in the early 1990s, um, but also get emotive and get to like almost hood-like spaces in jams. Um, there's some really good start-stop jamming. Their drummer is absolutely phenomenal and extremely exciting, and the way that he plays off the rest of the band is huge. Um, there's just a jamming element to Eggy that I'm going to be following for a long, long time because it's just really, really interesting stuff when it's really short, even when it's really, and when it's really long. Yeah, definitely relative to Goose, the jamming is more democratic. Um, the guitarist, Jake Brownstein, he's very good. He isn't quite the level of show-offy jock that Rick is. Like, he doesn't, quite step out as much but everything is done in the service of the song and kind of when you get down to it there's like some very interesting things happening and like you said the rhythm section of Michael Goodman and Alex Bailey is almost second to none I mean nobody is capable of doing what John Fishman does but I think it's just a very impressive extremely impressive rhythm section for this band and I think they're rounded out by Donnie Batat on keyboards so yeah, they're a quartet. They're like, kind of, they have the fish set up. Basically, you know, keys, drums, bass, guitar. So if you're out there and you're like, cool, you guys like Aggie, I'm glad to hear it. Where do I start with this band? I go on to Nugs and there's a ton of shows. What is your recommendation if someone's like, dude, just give me something to start with? Um, Probably April 29, 2023 from the Wonder Bar, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Classic Jersey Shore venue. Um. This, I think, has a four or five song second set and one of their best, funniest songs uh, called Onitsuka Tiger to kick things off. And, um, yeah, I mean, it has some of their their best original songs. Um, the song Shadow, excellent original, Buying Time, very good original, but also shows that the very adept with covers because they do a cover of uh, King Gizzard's Interior People, which is one of those incredible King Gizzard pop songs that for some reason they haven't played live. So that's there. Um, they all love Little Feet. It's a really big Spanish moon cover. So you kind of get all the best aspects of the band at that show. Some good originals, well-chosen covers, long jams, and then uh, the encore is the original Golden Gate Dancer, which is excellent groove. Very like almost like LCD sound system style like groove. And rest assured that they listened to uh, some DFA stuff in the mid-2000s coming up. So... That's my pick. It's a great pick. Um, I would go same tour, uh, 511 23 from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that 429 show is possibly my favorite show of the year so far, but 511 has a really good cover of Carry On. The, the Eggy 
covers Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young better than they have any right to. Uh, it's weird. They're <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, it's like you see bands covering Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and you're just like, don't do that. You you can't do it. These guys can hit the harmonies. It's really really good stuff. They put they put the work into it. They have the talent for it. Their work on CSNY, Little Feet, um, the band, the band is some of my favorite uh, in the jam band world. But set two, you've got a really good uh, take on Wayless, which is a big, huge, huge Aggie ba- banger. Um, big Shadow to end things. And then the Encore is a mashup of 12 Pounds of Pain and One Stop Shop, two of their um, big time set closing anthems. Uh, Dave uh, is a huge fan of 12 Pounds of Pain and the way that those two songs filter in and out of each other. They've done this on occasion throughout this year, so much so that they had a 16-song encore uh, <laughs> earlier in August. They are they are setlist fuckers. These guys mm. mess around with a setlist the way that Fish did in 1993, and it is very exciting. 12 Pounds of Pain is great because it's about bowling. I'm just imagining them being in high school and being stoned and going bowling at uh, in Hamden, Connecticut, which is right next to where they grew up. This bowling alley and kind of like an outdoor mall. That's what you do in Connecticut. You go bowling. So yep. um, in addition to that Asbury Park show, some other shows I'd highly recommend would be um, May 5th, 2023 from Asheville, North Carolina. They do a kind of funny thing at that show where they'll play an original, they'll segue into a cover, back into the original. That's like the theme of that night. Uh, June 9, 2023 from Nectars. Of course, they're going to bring it hard at Nectars, and they do. And then I'm kind of going back to the end of 2022, December 3rd, 2022 from Steamboat Springs. That was actually kind of the show that got me on board the Eggy train saying like, all right. This is good top to bottom. These guys can put together complete sets. They know what they're doing. I should pay closer attention to them. And uh, on that topic, just uh, some quick jams I've got. Um, Like Brian said, they covered CSN really well, and they played a great version of Carry On from January 20th, 2023. I think that's when they're opening for Humphreys and McGee right after David Crosby died. So they did a really nice version of that song. Um... November 11th, 2022, Golden Gate Dancer. Excellent version of that song, which goes to disco to dark. Eggy can get dark and back again. And then uh, December 31st, 2022, I think they're opening up for Mo on New Year's Eve. Uh, There's song Burritos, El Chavo 2. Uh, it's one of their better ballads, kind of like an uplifting ballad. I don't know why it's called that. I Google that. Nothing comes up. My educated guess is that uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, where they're from, there's a place called Long Wharf that has tons of Mexican taco trucks, all good, all kind of interchangeable. Maybe one of those trucks was named that. That's my educated guess. It could be totally wrong. I'd love to pick their brain about that someday. It does feel like the second Burritos El Chavo restaurant that opened due to popular demand, but it actually right. turns out to be the better one, you know? Um, those are all great shows and killer jams. I was listening at 1231-22 Burritos on the way back home from work today. My God, Alex Bailey. There is some amazing, yeah. amazing shit in there. It gets super dark and heavy. Um, in terms of shows for me, you talked about it before 29-23. Uh, that is an excellent, excellent show from uh, Asbury Park. I highly recommend people check it out. Uh, 6823 from... Buffalo, New York, 
you have a three-song second set that goes Last of Kin, High Noon, and Onitsuka Tiger, which is an awesome jam and then turns into a very strange poetry segment and then back into a really good jam. But you also have uh, Farthest Step in set one goes 17 minutes. Finding and Losing goes almost 20 minutes. Just really jammy, uh, jammy show. And then um, August 10th, 2023, from Surf City, North Carolina, Really, really good jamming in here. Second set is three songs, at least that we have. There might be a new song that's in there. They've been holding some of those out. But you get a 20-minute one-stop shop, 32-minute Tom Corn Walker, which always kicks off with a hilarious <laughs> British quip from the band. Uh, you will know what I'm talking about if you listen to the show. Uh, and then in terms of jams for me, the 12-3-22 Onitsuka Tiger um, that is the jam that hooked me on Eggy and is still my favorite Eggy jam uh, to date. 27 minutes, uh, just wild, wild jamming. Uh, the February 6th, 2022 Watercolor Days, extremely heavy, dark, uh, me- uh, mechanic Eggy. And then right. 5 at 4, 23, great version of Shadow, one of their big songs. It's kind of their down with disease. Like Shadow starts, you know that you're getting a big jam and it's got that big beautiful sing you know sing along chorus to it so really great stuff shadows at the umphreys mcgee song uh called divisions because they're both in e major oh good call uh, good call. a lot of jam bands had the big big e major anthem that's theirs so. that's a great call so a lot of stuff to dig into a lot of stuff to listen to let's let's talk really quickly i think we're both on the same page there are a couple things for a band at eggy's age to work on um what do you think would what, – what if you were coach of Eggy, um, you know, you're, you're the manager in the dugout calling for challenges when, you know, the band cuts off a jam. Maybe you sub in one song for another song. You're pacing. You got your chew in. You, you got to get ready for the press after the game. What are you going to say that Eggy needs to work on uh, uh, between one gig and another? I still think the songwriting could improve a little bit. The songs have gotten better. They've kind of begun to realize what they have in terms of their better songs and play them more. But don't be afraid to write a chorus, guys. I mean, some of the riffs are a little bit ticky-tack, a little staccato, a little bump, 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 bump. You know, kind of, I would dig in the more bright major chords. You know, don't be scared of having a chorus. Like Goose has mastered the choruses, or you know they've got some choruses. Eggy, certainly, uh, I think my favorite Eggy chorus is probably uh, from Burritos, El Chavo's two. Um, I would also tell the guitarist to buy a few more pedals, get yourself like a mm-hmm. solid delay pedal or something. Go out there and uh, the gear is good. Get some more money, upgrade a little bit. Give me a few more sounds, you know, a few more things to stomp on. Get some more backline. But this is mostly just kind of like niggling complaints akin to most up-and-coming jam bands. Yeah, I guess it really comes down to what what their ultimate goal is and what what they want out of this. Um, I would imagine it's sustainability, but like if they want to have a large following the way that Goose has, um, part of the reason that Goose is really attracting people is their songs, as we talked about, there's a huge earworm um, uh, uh, quality to, to their songwriting, to their choruses. Sometimes an Eggy song feels a little bit like they're too much in their own heads. Um, okay. In their songs. 
Um, just, you know, it's very, it's very, very introspective in a way that I do find lyrically interesting, but I do wonder if just having a few more songs that will connect with a larger mass audience would, would bring them a bit more success and, and be a little bit more of a push in that, you know, kind of songwriting direction that could be really interesting because their jamming is certainly there. Like that is the thing that is, is not debatable at all. Their jamming is 150% there and is it, it can only get, well, it could get better. I don't know if it's going to. I think where it is right now is, is in a really, really sweet spot. I'm, I'm excited every time I hear them jam. Um, I think to your point, Jake having a few additional pedals could make those jams a little bit e- even darker and even weirder. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is when you have, they cover the songs as good as they cover, when you're covering Carry On and Chess Fever and Interior People and Southern Cross, like huge classics, and then play an Eggy song, you're kind of like, hmm. It's an interesting you know? way to put it. I didn't think about it that way. They cover their songs really, really well. Right. You would think that they'd be pulling more away from those songs because clearly their execution of songs, it's not like they're just playing these songs. Like they are owning Carry On. They are owning Interior People. They are owning um, Time Escaping. Uh, these are songs that are becoming theirs. You would think that that would translate to their own songwriting. Yeah, Time Escaping, that's like the golden age, is that they play it so right. much and they play it so well and so interestingly no one thinks about, oh, that's a big thief cover. It's just like, cool, Time right. Escaping. Right. It's like, cool, golden age. <laughs> exactly. Um, what do we think is the ultimate peak for Eggy? Um, I kind of see them as... Um, at their peak, they could probably have a fan base the size of Mo at their peak, which is to say they can sell out like, you know, 2,000, 3,000 seat arenas, most places in the country. Um, I mean, 2,000, 3,000 seat theaters, most places in the country. Currently, I can't see them in arenas. Maybe that changes. Feel free to prove me wrong. But I mean, I think it would be a pretty solid achievement if they're able to, you know, cross the country playing large theaters, you know, multiple night run at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester to, like, adoring fans, maybe playing, like, uh, you know, the 3,000-seat, uh, the Westville Outdoor, the Westville Music Center, used to be the Pilot Pen, which is right where they live, so that'd be a really cool achievement to play that, like, you know, rock that for the summer, like Goose did recently, so they'll get bigger crowds, they certainly will, I just, I see it peaking at some point. I'm right there with you on that, I think... There, unless there's a dramatic change in the songwriting, I think that is going to appeal to a smaller but very dedicated fan base. And I think that that 2,000, 3,000 people, maybe a little bit more in Connecticut and in the Northeast, that 2,000, 3,000 people across the country is a great ambition to get to. That's playing the Bluebird out here. It's playing the Ogden. Like that is a having that kind of a crowd that comes to you uh, on a on a annual basis, twice a year basis is huge. Um, I think that maybe they could sell out a place like Red Rocks once in five, six years if things keep growing. But I don't know. They just they strike me as when I play Goose for for people. There's definitely people that don't like what goose does, but more often than not, there are people that are like, yeah, this is just really good. Like a lot of my non jam band friends have come to see goose and actually like going to their shows more than they like going to fish. Whereas eggy, I don't really 
introduced to people unless they're, you know, really into kind of weird songwriting and weird jamming because Eggy's going to give you something that is, it, it's something I chase maybe a little bit more than what I chase with Goose, but it is also something that doesn't necessarily appeal to the masses in in the same way that a song like Hunger Sight or a song like Arcadia can just like, even if you're not super deep into exploring back catalogs of bands and discovering new weird kind of ways of writing songs, uh, stuff that Goose writes, you know, can really just like attract you, even though it is 26 minutes long sometimes. So I think at this point, we're going to do a little bit of a, a mashup. We're going to play for you uh, from Goose, November 13, 2022, Madhavan, to Eggy, the December 3rd, 2022, Anatsuka Tiger, to uh, Goose, 3.30, Wisteria Lane, and back into Eggy, the uh, December 31st, 2022, Burritos, El
So, for our second segment today, we wanted to turn the camera a little bit towards the indie rock world and talk about a couple bands that we have both been digging of late that we don't hear about that often and that we think deserve more attention. Some of these bands have been in existence for as long as a decade. Uh, Other of these are relatively new, but there are bands that have ultimately just not gotten the attention that we think that they deserve based on their quality and we would like to present them to you as uh hey if you haven't heard these guys check out the following six bands my god six bands we're going to give you and uh help them grow because these are this is how this thing works Uh, but i want to ask you just dave really quickly where do you think we're at with indie rock in the early 2020s at this point in time um there's a lot of solid bands to find there's uh i would say Plenty of ways to discover indie rock, whether you're looking at something more obvious like Pitchfork, whether there's like other blogs, like we will look at like Aquarium Drunkard, Raven Sings the Blues, those kind of steer in the more of a like indie jam trajectory, a little bit more chugal. Um, but in terms of discovering them, I mean, I like going to Stereo Gum. I like Brooklyn Vegan. A lot of these websites kind of tend to aggregate the same stuff. But if you know what critics, what writers that you trust, go back to. I think Stereo Gum right now kind of has some of the best writers in the game and have for a very long time. So I like that website. Um, I like going to stuff like Brooklyn Vegan because it has a Friday feature called Bill's Indie Basement, which I often find a lot of really good like college rock type stuff that I would have liked back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and of course, you know, like I said, Pitchfork is the granddaddy of them all, and uh, irrespective of the condonast advertisement kind of glamorous stuff, they also have a lot of very good writers, and uh, they actually put out some good, knowledgeable stuff. So really, if you have an internet machine and a streaming service, there's no excuse for you not to find indie rock bands. Also, Bandcamp, very good source, good writing, uh, you know, interesting stuff that is covered, Bandcamp Fridays, and then just go look to your friends, see what they're listening to, go check them out. But there's uh, lots and lots of ways to find this stuff. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with all of that. Um, Bandcamp, I was going to throw out there, is just like it's really a fun app to just kind of mess around with and jump from artist to artist, and you get bios and you get um, the ability to buy merch uh, directly from Bandcamp. Um, and you can read reviews really nicely. It's just, it's curated in a way that it almost feels like a record store. It just digitally in your hands. Um, there's no algorithm associated with it. So it's, it's a challenging app to use. If you, you know, don't have a ton of time, you want to throw things into a playlist and then return to it later. It's more of a, let's spend 30 minutes at this point in time, diving into it, uh, which is really nice. All those websites you mentioned, um, Stereo Gum Aquarium Drunkard are pretty regular for me at this point in time. Um, I'll give a uh, shameless plug to IndieCast, uh, which I produce, uh, which comes out each Friday. And uh, Stephen Hyden and Ian Cohen uh, blast out really good indie rock content. And their recommendations are always kind of in line with where I'm at um, and always introduce me to kind of new stuff as well. But um, I think musically, the thing that really interests me right now about indie rock is there is more of an acceptance across the jam world. So you get bands like Rose City Band, you get some uh, jazz groups and some, some you know, kind of weird soundscape uh, uh, jamming aspects um, like uh, Natural Information Society, 
um, uh, uh, the, the recent Jeff Parker releases, um, that kind of blend indie rock with jazz and with elements of jam bands, which is really cool. Um, but I do have some concerns about like the growth of the, of the, of the genre, which is always kind of, there's moments where indie feels like it's about to become more mainstream right now. It does not feel that way to me at all. If you were managing an indie rock band today, what would you, what, what would be kind of your tactics to help them grow? I get them sinks on TV is what I would do. <laughs> That's where the money is. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the money is in publishing. To help them grow, I would say, I would tell them to tour, but the thing is touring is so expensive. Touring is the expensive prospect. Touring can be dangerous. Um, I would tell them to play shows. I'd also tell them to explore the possibility of doing things like live streaming maybe playing like a show from your basement that doesn't require driving across the country, maybe getting a Patreon, um, being active on social media. Really, I guess it's a cliche to say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But in these times when, I guess, post-COVID or current COVID, however you want to frame it, there's more choices than ever. There's not enough venues to go around. It's getting more and more expensive to tour. Venues want a cut of your merchandise. So it's almost kind of crazy. But also, it helps to be good. Write good songs. People like good songs. The live streaming was the biggest thing. I just want to reemphasize that you said. Um, I can't tell you how many nights I am live streaming jam band concerts throughout the year. And I would happily do that for so many of the indie bands. Um, as a young parent who doesn't get out to a lot of shows at this point in my life, man, live streamings have become a godsend. I, I am able to keep up to date with music, follow along daily, really feel a part of conversations, um, feel stimulated by hearing new music in a way that I love, but without leaving my house. Um, I'd gladly pay for some subscriptions to see more live stream shows from bands. And I, I feel like there's definitely an appetite for that. Um, Let's dive in, though, because we do have three bands that we each want to share. Um, these are three kind of larger scale indie bands that we think you all should listen to and check out. We're going to do a mashup of their songs at the end. We'll list those songs in the show notes. Um, but these are all kind of bands that have been in our top 10, top 20 over the last probably year to two years. Um, some of these are in our 2023 list. Some of them were in our 2022 just um, bands we're really into right now that we think you guys should be checking out um, that are on the rise in some ways. So what do you got first, Dave? Um, this is a band I've talked about on Beyond the Pond before. I don't know how many of you listened to all the episodes, so I'm going to do it again. This is a small band from Memphis, Tennessee called Ibex Clone, who uh, put out one of my favorite albums of the year back in February called All Channels Clear. This sounds like... 80s college rock. This is like a band that you could imagine seeing in 1984 with R.E.M. on the bill. It's sort of like jangle pop with a shoegaze element. I often describe it as it sounds like My Bloody Valentine covering like Murmur R.E.M. songs. The guitarist George Williford has an incredibly cool technique which relies on lots of finger picking, lots of arpeggio patterns, but he imbues it with the Kevin Shields uh, like a Kevin Shields sensibility. Also, excellent drumming, excellent bass playing, very good lyrics. It's just, uh, it's a fantastic album. 
and I saw them live uh, a few months ago. I think their set was like 28 minutes long because they went on late and they were pressed for time, but it was awesome back then. Bought the record on vinyl. So hopefully you're going to hear about them more and more. But again, I don't know how a band like this really makes much in the way of money. I'm sure they have day jobs. I'm sure they do other things. But yeah, Ibex Clone from Memphis, Tennessee, one of my favorite discoveries of the year. It's a great band. Um, I feel like that's going to rank very highly on your list, uh, which I'm excited to see at the end of the year here. Um, another band that is ranked highly on my list is the Tubbs out of Wales. Um, these are members of the band Joanna Gruesome, which broke up in 2017. Members of them have scattered across uh, uh, Wales into other bands. This is a very 80s college rock jangle pop record. Um, this is an album that... This came out in uh, early February. It sounded like spring was approaching. And then when spring finally came, it was perfect for the season, but also sounded like summer was approaching. And then when patio season came into fashion, it was a patio record. And then when road trips happened over the summer, it was a road trip album. And now as we move into fall, there are warm, kind of tinged undertones to the record. And it uh, feels like an oncoming autumn autumnal record what is this to say and it's probably going to feel like a winter record as we move into it all of this is to say that this is an a year-round album which is something i seek out all the time there's a lot of music i listen to where it's kind of like one element where it works it's kind of like bleak early morning perfect for ambient music uh, late night, like a little bit of a louder kind of more aggressive stuff. Um, if I listen to pop, I kind of want that on when I'm at work. There's just all this stuff I kind of listen to various specific times, but I want a record like the tubs dead meat to check out, um, at any time of the year, no matter what, it's always in fashion. And that is a good thing. Like a good flannel shirt. It's always, always in fashion. That's a great record. 27 minutes, put it on, listen to it again. Dude kind exactly. of sounds like Richard Thompson. He's got that like quaver to his voice. It's uh, what's the second song on the record? Two Person Love. Oh, love that song. Yeah, such a good song. Yeah. So it's okay, eighties REM meets Richard Thompson. It's just great stuff. Yes. So all right, uh, second band. I'm going to talk about a band that's been indie news as of late called Rap Boys. They're a Chicago-based band fronted by Julius Steiner. I think they were founded by uh, Julius Steiner and the guitarist Dave Sagan, um, I think around 2010, back when they were both students at Notre Dame. And now they're uh, filled out by the full-time members Marcus Nuccio and Sean Newman. They are kind of like, I would say, melodic, grungy, emo pop band with shoegaze elements. Um, they first, I first noticed them with their second album back in 2017 called GN. That was... More a little more sedate than what they are now. That was almost more of a, a shoegaze record. The third song on the album called West Side. I probably listened to, I don't know, 37 times like since 2017. I love that song. You know, that kind of positioned them as like a very solid songwriterly group. They followed that up in February of 2020 with Printer's Devil, which was louder, more power pop, grungier, level up record that was forgotten because it came out i think on like february 26 2020 when lots of shit was forgotten understandably so but their most recent album the window which i think is album number four 
I think it came out three weeks ago, and probably their best to date. It's got production from uh, Chris Walla, you know, formerly of Death Cab for Cutie. He's done a lot of production on like Level Up Records. I think he produced uh, like Decemberist, The Crane Wife, um, the best Death Cab records. And it's just grungy and melodic and evocative of like some excellent 90s kind of grungy pop girl bands, which is also the next artist I'm going to talk about. But it's uh, a very good, well worth your time band. I almost would kind of put them in the same realm as uh, like a band like Charlie Bliss nowadays, kind of just like melodic, grungy, female-fronted pop that makes you want to drive fast. And also, there's a nine-minute song in it that's kind of their, uh, the tip of the hat to like shoegaze jamming is called Black Earth, Wisconsin, which is probably mm. my favorite probably my favorite song of the year. It's just Same. more or less one long guitar solo and a level of vibrato that I would kill to be able to replicate with my own guitar playing. And it kind of doesn't sound like the other songs in the record, but doesn't feel out of place. And it's uh, the axis upon which the window spins. So that's uh, one of my favorite albums of the year so far. So, Rap Boys. Check them out. Right. Right there with you. Right there with you. I love that record. Um, I want to talk about an artist who I think was my number 10 or 11 album last year, Courtney Marie Andrews' Loose Loose Future. Um, This is her eighth album. She's been around for about a decade now. Um, She she was a member of Jimmy World, strangely enough, and then uh, moved out to Seattle and was um, uh, played along with Damien Gerardo in the, uh, in his excellent, excellent period for him in the early, uh, 2010s. Um, at one point she came on stage with Wilco to sing, uh, part of you and I, so she's had, you know, some big moments throughout her career, but has kind of, um, passed around and she put out this record in, uh, uh, October of last year called loose future that I just absolutely loved. Um, and was kind of the perfect record for the last two months of the year. Um, very much in the Waxahachi Angel Olsen, uh, type of realm, which both of those artists put out records. I absolutely loved in the last, uh, two to three years. So Americana inspired, um, very, very atmospheric, beautiful songwriting. Um, a couple albums this year that have really made me think, uh, of this, uh, uh, or one album in particular is, um, the, uh, Jess Williamson album, uh, Time in Accidental, um, really in the same uh, realm as Loose Future. It sounds like something that you, you're driving across the plains, uh, midsummer watching, uh, a lightning storm pass around you. It's very, it's that humid breeze. It's that rich, rich smells of just being out in the prairie and rivers everywhere. And you hear insects, it's just got like a very summary in Americana uh, feel to it. Absolutely love uh, this record, Loose Future and Time and Accidental from Jess Williamson as well. Um, but this is uh, just right at my wheelhouse right now. I want to hear just like crystal clear kind of um, alto uh, female lead uh, vocalist with like beautiful country music, country Americana behind it. That is like, that is everything uh, to my ears right now. So great, great stuff. I, too, quite enjoy Quentin Marie Andrews and that Jess Williamson album. Time and Accidental is an excellent record. That will be one of my favorites of 2023. Easy. Yeah. So, okay, the last artist I'm going to discuss is called Bully. That is the nom de rock of a woman named 
Alicia Bognano. She's uh, actually an audio recording savant who uh, once interned at Steve Albini's Electrical Audio in Chicago before, re- before relocating to Nashville to become a recording engineer. And this was, uh, I guess, before she decided to start her own rock band. So Bully kind of traffics in a 90s grunge pop, would have done gangbusters on 120 minutes in 1995. This is like Alanis Morissette NTV Buzzbin shit. Or actually, I would say more Letters to Cleo and Alanis Morissette. Um, she has four albums. I'll admit to kind of not paying a ton of attention to her and to her latest record, Lucky For You, which goes super hard. It sounds like 90s comedy teen romance soundtrack of your fantasies. Makes you wish I was back in college. I'm talking about movies like 10 Things I Hate About You, can't hardly wait. Um, American Pie, just like <laughs> every scene in the '90s teen movie where the male and female protagonists realize they're both really into each other and share a kiss. That's like every song on this bully record. So, if you uh, have a thing for a melodic '90s female fronted grunge like I do, as shit that I grew up with, you too will like Bully. So, check this album out. It's a great record. This is a very Goldstein core. Um, my last record here is um, extremely Brinkman core for right now. It is uh, Emergency Group's Inspection of Cruelty. This is a quartet. Uh, Robert Boston on keys, Andreas Braid on drums, Jonathan Beerley on guitar, and Dave Mandel on bass. Uh, this was recorded live in Brooklyn on November 2nd, 2022, and it is a 45 minute long jam broken into two parts. You get Inspection of Cruelty Part 1 and Part 2. Um, I mean, more than anything, this is just a really good uh, 2020s version of um, uh, New York Heads uh, imitating 70s Miles Davis. Um, just right up that zone, right in that alley. It is weird, freak out. Uh, acid jazz, uh, long, long-winded solos that sometimes make absolutely no sense and don't need to. Um, huge, huge just rockouts to showcase um, the tightness uh, and looseness and explore, exploration um, of these four musicians. It is a total trip, and I am incredibly into this. Um, there is a large segment of you out there in Beyond the Pond world. Those of you who have stuck with us uh, post-hiatus, this is your shit. And uh, I encourage everyone out there, if you have not listened to this, check it out on Bandcamp. Um, throw these guys a couple bucks. Um, $7 is what it would cost to get this album digitally and is entirely worth your time, your money, your ears, everything that would go into it. It's just a, it's just a killer, killer record. For just $7, you can keep a band off the street and clothed and fed. <laughs> Shout out, Tim McManus, Island House Recordings, put that album out. Yes. That album's yes. fucking awesome. And most of the stuff in Island House is awesome. So, not a surprise there. But now, let's listen to a, a mashup of some of our favorite songs off of these records.
Thank you all for hanging with us here tonight and um, allowing us to dive into some of you may say our guilty pleasures, others of you may say the next generation. Perhaps it's somewhere in between. We don't know. We're at that interesting crux in both Goose and Eggie's career that we have no idea exactly where this is all going to lead. Um, we talked as well about Fish's Summer 2023 tour. Positive reviews from us. I would say four and a half stars. What would you say? Four stars. 
Four stars. All right. Yeah, I like Still you. Still pretty a damn bit good. Critical in that sort. Four stars is pretty damn good. If it was a if it was a four star review in Rolling Stone in the nineties, you go out and buy that record the next day. It's a good call. Let's get a five star year with a fall tour. How about that, guys? Okay. Um, and then we also talked in segment two about uh, six six young indie bands that we recommend you guys check out. Young is a relative term here. If you haven't heard of these guys, check them out. That's the key. That's that's what we're just trying to do. The Tubbs, Courtney Marie Andrews, and Emergency Group, as well as Ibex Clone, Rap Boys, and Bully. Good stuff. Excellent stuff. I think the guys in the Emergency Group, some of them have kids. So, not that young, but that's okay. In terms of their output, they're certainly young. Um, Definitely. Yeah, this was a very fun episode. Uh it's interesting, we're actually recording this on the evening that Aaron Rodgers just really hurt his ankle, and the Jets still managed to win the game. Congratulations, Jets fans. You might be seeing a lot more Zach Wilson, but who knows? It could be one of those great stories. Might be the lowest and lowest point of the season and the peak. Um, Low, yeah. So we will be back in October, uh, late October, I can tell you. We are going to do an episode in October that just give it away highlights fishes october run uh their week-long tour unless unless we don't love the tour uh in that case we may just not cover it but if it is on par with what we've seen thus far this year we will do an october tour spin that out compare that to a different era in fish history like we did with a few other um spring 2023 uh august 93 New Year's 98. We've done it a few times this year. It's been really fun. So keep an eye out for that. Um, That will come before the end of October. Until then, though, hope you guys are all great out there and beyond the pond land. Um, Thank you guys for listening. It's been a good, uh, this was a good episode. Excellent episode. Come back the end of October. We will talk the fish tour most likely. Maybe I'm seeing pavement and tape his choice this week. It's what a one-two punch of concerts. Maybe I'll talk about those. I'm going to go see Trey Anastasia Band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, entertainment mm. capital of the world. That's coming up soon. Um, so we'll have plenty of interesting stuff to talk about come October. So if you made it this far, always thank you. We'll come back. We'll hold hands. We'll say kumbaya. We'll go beyond the pond. Osiris.